And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to, to come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Jack Webb stars as Sergeant Joe Friday, detective of L.A. police on Dragnet from 1950. Then Eve Arden stars in her signature role of Madison High School English teacher Connie Brooks on part one of a comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks from 1949. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Hair's in a bun yeah, on this edition. Yeah, it sure is. It's up in a bun, you're yeah. Like, you're not liking Looking that. very um, ready to rock and roll. You're ready to wrestle or something. Wrestle. Yeah, you're ready yeah, to wrestle. Definitely wrestling is not in my repertoire. But Probably not. You're yeah. kind of a weakling, actually. Yeah, that's what I... So what's going on in Hollywood? Well, something official has actually happened this week. The Playboy Mansion has been sold. What? So you no longer So they accepted it. my offer? <laughs> Unfortunately, you weren't the winning bid. Uh-huh. And it went for about... I'm going to guess. Let me I, guess. Wait, hold on. I will. I'm going to ask you to guess. It went for about half of Hugh Hefner's original asking no price. No way. And it turns out it's still, even with that half, the most expensive home ever sold in Los Angeles. Get the heck out of here. No, I, I'm out of More here. than... Um, that's... That's... Yes. I, I, really? I give you All right, good I'm going to say here. $37 million. <laughs> I'm off by a lot? You're off by a few. Yeah. How much? Well, try again. I don't know. $100 million. Get out. It's not worth 100 I was there. It's uh, not I know worth you $100 were. million. Okay, dollars. well, here's the thing, though. So Hugh Hafner, who is 90, will remain at the home for the remainder of his lifetime. <laughs> and the Playboy Enterprises, who acquired the property back in 1971, pays $1 million a year to lease the property back. Okay. For, you know, until he's done there. Well. So the buyer. I haven't gotten, an, uh, like, another invite since I was there. I must have been a bad boy or something. I don't know. He hasn't well, invited me. Well, everybody there is a bad boy. He hasn't invited me back. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so get this. The guy who bought it, ready? Yeah. Uh-huh. He lived next door to that house since 2009. Yeah. So he had a 2.3-acre property next door. That property is $5 million. He's going to combine the whole thing for a 7.3-acre property. And he is the co-owner of Hostess. Um, in addition, oh, hostess, hostess, right? Like cupcakes. Twinkies and things. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah exactly. And uh, Ding Dongs. 
and ding dongs, exactly. Uh-huh. And um, he is a son of and a billionaire. And ho hos. And ho hos. Ba- I actually like ding dongs, but he's the son of a billionaire you investor. A You're a ding dong. So he's grown up in that lifestyle as well. Okay. So what hey, can I say? Maybe we'll. Uh, Did get... you check out the um, the zoo? They have a zoo oh, license. Oh, yeah. I was there. there. I mean, went to the grotto. I checked the zoo. There was the monkeys. There was llamas all over the place. Did you sun in the infamous pool there? No, it was at night that I was there, so no sunning. Oh, did you go to the pool? I didn't go in the pool, but I went by the pool. Nearby. Right. Excellent. It was like, oh. Right. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Carl. All right. Time for Dragnet. Jack Webb stars as Sergeant Joe Friday. Let's go back to February 9th, 1950. For the big girl, here's Jack Webb in part one of Dragnet. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. Sixteen persons have been robbed and beaten senseless. The victims describe the assailant as a tall, beautiful woman. Your job, stopper. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, October 3rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way over from the city hall, and it was 6.55 p.m. when we got to the county hospital. Ward 9800, room 12. This way, gentlemen. The third bed. Thank you. Here we are. Please try not to excite him, Sergeant. He's had a pretty hard time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Make your visit as brief as possible. We will. Thanks. Mr. Maloney, how are you feeling? That's so good. You fellas doctors? No, sir. Police officers. This is Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday. Robbery detail. Oh, Find out anything yet? Still checking, Mr. Maloney. We'd like to have you tell us exactly what happened night before that. No, she sure had me fooled. That's all I can say. You're not the first one. Fifteen others ahead of you. Would you tell us what happened? Well, I left the shop a little after midnight, and I started to drive home on Central Avenue. You worked at Maloney's Steakhouse down on South Commercial, isn't that right? Yes, sir. My uncle owns the place. His name's J. Brown Maloney. He knows a lot of cops, you know him. We met him this afternoon. Could you tell us what happened after you left work? Well, uh, I started to drive home out Central Avenue. I guess it must have been around 18th Street. I pu- uh, would you push that pill up a little yes, bit? Yes, sir, I'll get it here. Oh, Thanks. I pulled up for the arterial and I saw this gal standing on the corner. She was hitchhiking. Do you remember what she looked like, how she was dressed? Well, you know... Kind of flashy, but nice clothes. Good-looking dame. Tall, long blonde hair. Beautiful eyes. You're sure about the color of her hair? Yeah, it was blonde. And you offered her a ride? 
I didn't think there was anything wrong in it. I, I'm a married man, you know. I didn't think there was anything wrong. What happened then? Well, she got in the car and we drove off. We talked a while and she pulled a gun on me. Told me to drive up an alley. Where was that? Do you remember? Around 32nd Street and 32nd Central. And then what? She took my wallet, watch, car keys, everything I had. Mm-hmm. And she made me get out of the car, lay down on the street. I felt a shove that gun again. Can you fix that pillow? Yeah, you bet. Just lie still. There you are. I felt a shove that gun against me, and then she pulled the trigger, I guess. That's all I remember. You don't recall her slugging you? Must have happened after she shot me. Her face looks pretty bad, huh? You'll be all right, Mr. Maloney. You think you would recognize the girl if you saw her again? I sure would. Nice looking, you know. Tall, blonde, beautiful shape. Doesn't figure, does it? What's that? She'd make more money on the stage than she would roll in guys like me. Must be crazy. Maybe. Would you look at these mug shots, Mr. Maloney, and see if any of these look like her? Let's see. Yeah. Uh, this one? No. How about uh, this one here? No, let's see. No. All right. How about this one? No, uh, she was better looking. Uh, well, here's the last one. I don't know. This might be her. The hair was fixed right. Maybe, maybe a little more makeup. I'm not sure. All right, Mr. Maloney. Thank you. We'll be back to see you in a day or so when you're feeling better. Okay. Say, my name won't be in the papers, will it? No, sir. Not unless you give it to him. I was just wondering if a wife might not understand giving a girl a ride, you know? Yes, sir. We know. Well, thank you, Mr. Maloney. We'll be checking back with you later on. Okay, officers. I hope you get a line on that dame. We're going to try. Goodbye. Sure messed up, isn't it? Yeah. That dame's got some other motive besides money. Psycho. Some kind of a sadist, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> Find out what you wanted, Sergeant. Yes, we did. Thanks, nurse. What did the doctor say about Maloney? Is he going to be all right? Well, he had a severe beating, but he'll get over that all right. It's the bullet wound in the back. He'll recover, won't he? The bullet shattered part of the spinal cord. There was nothing the doctor could do. Yeah? Paraplegia. He'll never walk again. <laughs> We left the county hospital, went back to the office, and got out a local broadcast for the woman whose mugshot Maloney had partially identified. Her name was Beverly Allen. She had a record of three arrests and one conviction of 240 PC, assault and battery. After we checked in the office, we went across the street to the crime lab. Lee Jones had already examined the bullet taken from Maloney's spine and the cartridge casing found at the scene of the shooting. Both of them bore the same markings as those which had wounded the two previous victims. From the striations, the gun had been previously identified as a 45 Colt. Maloney's car was examined. We found nothing. We went back to the city hall and checked in at the stats office. It was 8.35 p.m. Hi, Ethel. Make that run for us, yeah? Just a minute, Sergeant. How you coming, Ethel? Fine here. Same old run. 
Back seven years on this one. Yeah, that's right. Did you get any more names? A few. Let me check the list for you. All right. Why, the names and DR numbers on Caucasian women. Five feet to five feet eight, 115 to 130 pounds, 20 to 30 years, blonde or brunette, assault and battery, M.O. Hitchhikes, rides and robs drivers, uses gun. Yeah, that's it. Here's what the machine turned out, 19 of them. Good. Here are the names. The uh, DR numbers opposite each one. Fine. Very new name? More than the last time. Anything else for tonight? No, that's it for now. Thanks a lot, Ethel. Let's go. Bad start. How's that? Seventeen of these names we checked and cleared already. And the other two? Well, one's Catherine Collins. The other one's Beverly Allen. She might tie in. We got nothing else to go on. You want to get to the record bureau and pull the packages on these two names? Yeah, okay. I'll check robbery and see if we have any calls. Huh? All right, Joe. Okay. Hi, Captain. Any calls for us? Just one. Bad Brown wants to see you. Oh? Bad mood? Kind of. Wants me, too. Let's go. Did fellow Maloney tell you anything? Nothing that helped much. Same old story. No reports on that broadcast we put out for that Beverly Allen? Not yet. No. Are you banking on it? It's first lead in 16 nights. Hmm. Here we are. Walker, Friday, come in. How are you, boss? Sit down. Thank Take you. a look. Woman bandit gets 16th victim. Beautiful hold-up queen robs, shoots, restaurant worker. Yeah? It's on the editorial page, too. Something else. Mellow from the chief. Here. Letter from the downtown citizens committee. Another one, civic club. They all want answers. Men are doing all they can, Chief. We got two other teams besides Friday and Romero working the case. Special squad from Metropolitan Division. They're on it, too. I don't care what we've done. We've got to do more. Sixteen nights, sixteen robberies, and three shootings. Three victims still in the hospital. When do we blow the whistle on her? We've checked out every possible lead, Chief. We've got a want out on one suspect. We're checking out another one. Talk to that man Maloney, the one she got last night. Well, what did he tell you? Well, not much more than the other fifteen that she took. Descriptions still don't match in one respect. Well, how do you mean? Well, in 10 of the 16 cases we've had reported, the victims tagged the girl hitchhiker as a blonde, long hair. Four of them say she was a brunette with a short hairdo. Two of them tell us the girl had red hair, long. She's using wigs, that's what we figured. Checked every place in town where she could have rented or bought them. No leads. Uh, What about some of the bigger supply houses uh, out of town? We've started in checking them. It'll take a little time. And you've got practically nothing on the woman. Same gun, forty-five Colt. Lee Jones examined the bullet they took out of Maloney's spine. Hmm. How's he doing? Not good. The bullet smashed his spinal cord. His legs are paralyzed. When do we stop her? Yeah? Uh, Romero? Hi, Chief. Captain? What have you got? Pulled the packages on two possibles in this woman hold-up thing. It's no good, Joe. Why not? What about that Allen dame? Jail in Kansas City. I called him. Been in for a month. And the other one? Catherine Collins. I checked Seattle. Been in the hospital up there for the past three months in TB ward. Where does that leave you, Friday? Right back where we started. No leads and no suspects. All right, Walker. Starting tonight, we cover every street and alley in the central area until we get that woman. We'll order up more men and more detectives from the Metropolitan Division. Right, Chief. Get out more decoy cars. Have the area covered from sundown till sunrise until further notice. Get that woman. Right. Come on, Joe. Hot shot. I get it. 
211 shooting at Gatewood and Cameron. A 211 shooting at Gatewood and Cameron. Let's go. The name on his driver's license said William Gillespie. We found him 50 feet from the corner of Gatewood Alley and Cameron Street. His face and head bore the marks of a vicious beating. There was a single bullet wound in his left shoulder. He was conscious when we arrived. Chief of Detectives Brown, Captain Walker, and Ben checked the area for physical evidence. I spoke briefly with the victim before he was placed on a stretcher and carried to the ambulance. On the way, he lapsed into unconsciousness. I went over to where Ben was standing with Chief Brown and Captain Walker. Take a look, Joe. Captain found over there near the lamppost. Yeah, 45 shell casings, same as the others. How's Gillespie, Friday? Doc says he'll be all right. Badly beaten. Tough game. She really works him over. Wonder what makes a woman do things like this. What makes a man do it? William Gillespie was taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. The shell casing, which we had found at the scene, was taken to Lee Jones at the crime lab for examination. It compared with the others. Jones confirmed that the markings on the bullet which had wounded Gillespie matched those on the bullet which had been taken from Maloney's back. Both bullets had been fired from the same gun. The dragnet operation for the woman bandit went on. The men in the special detail covered every street and alley in the central area from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. the following morning. During the next five days, 11 suspects were picked up and brought in for questioning and then released after the victims failed to identify any of them. Well, at least we got her stopped temporarily. She hasn't pulled a caper for almost a week. Yeah, that doesn't bring us any closer to her. I don't know about you, but it's got me beat. Seventeen jobs, and she's as free today as she was before she started. Joe, Ben, what'd you find? Nothing. The last four women we questioned were clear. What about the other men on the case, Ed? Did they get anything? Baxter and Olson are down at the record bureau. Be in in a minute. They've been out talking to some of the victims again. Tough one. I've been thinking. How about a composite picture? We got enough to work with? Artist in the crime lab's working up a couple of sketches now. Mm-hmm. A lot of guesswork. What about the descriptions of the clothes the girl wears? Anything there we could start on? No, other than the fact that she wears flashy clothes. Hi, Olson. Hi. Any luck? Not much. None of the victims have a very good idea what the dame looked like. Tall, good-looking, nice figure, that's all. Nothing out of the ordinary, huh? Well, some of them say they have kind of an unusual voice. Soft, low... That's about all they could remember. Well, not much help. She's been described in three different outfits, is that right? Yeah, green dress with a pink coat, white dress, dark blue jacket, bright red sweater, and a brown skirt. Always carries a dark brown alligator handbag. Shoes to match. No hat. Not much of a wardrobe, is it? Maybe that's why she took up robbery. Now, look, let's get on this thing. We've been chasing this woman for almost a month now, and she's still got the run of the town. How long is it going to take us? If we only had a lead that was worth something. Find it. It's there someplace. I've never reached a thief yet without digging for him. Now I'll get it. Robbery Olson. Yeah. Right, Andy. I'll tell him. Anderson and Burglar, Joe, wants to see you and Ben. Thanks. Captain? That's all. Come on, Ben. Yeah. I'd like a day off, wouldn't you? We'll get one when we get this dame. Right, Ed. This thing isn't doing much for the skipper. It's not doing much for our time off either, is it? That fire department's got the racket. 24 hours on, 24 off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they get three days off in a row. That's what you keep telling me. Here we are. Joe? Ben? Andy? What do you got? Checking back on a job out in Hollywood. Heard you were having troubles. Came across this thing. Thought it might help you out. What's that, Ann? 
One of the picture studios had a burglary about a month ago. Thief got in the wardrobe department, then next door in a makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. Uh, here's some of the stuff taken. Dress, coat. Oh, here you can read it. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Red sweater, brown skirt. Hey, look down here, Joe. Where? Right, right here. Oh, yeah. Took two makeup kits and four wigs. Two blondes, one redhead, one brunette. That's it. Any leads on this job? Not so far, no. We got one thing to go on, a single footprint, size nine. Hmm. Pretty large size for a woman. I didn't say it was a woman. Print was made by a man's shoe. One of the most popular misconceptions of the working detective is offered by the fiction writers is the picture of a man with amazing talents for detecting evidence, analyzing human behavior and motives, and then, almost as if by magic, fitting all the pieces together to form the solution of the crime. The real-life picture is a little different. The working detective has a job. In a sense, it's a practical and down-to-earth job as baking bread or practicing law. It's his job to protect citizens and apprehend criminals, and it's a job he doesn't do alone. To assist him in collecting and analyzing evidence, he has the aid of the crime laboratory. To help him identify oddities and suspects or possible suspects, he has the record bureau, latent fingerprints, the statistician's office, the ballistics department, a battery of men and machines to aid him in reaching conclusions based on fact. Tuesday, October 9th, 9 p.m. For the past eight hours, Thaxter and Olson from robbery and Ben and I had been requesting all of the 16 victims of the woman bandit. We asked them one question. Could their assailant possibly have been a man dressed as a woman? The majority didn't think so. Those that did weren't very sure. We followed the lead through. At 9.25 p.m., we checked in and headed down the hall for the stats office. That's the first portion of Dragnet from February 9, 1950 with the big girl. We'll get back to Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday after these words. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Before we get back to Dragnet, I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a website for this show. It's Hollywood360radio.com. And we also have a Facebook page, right, Mike? That's absolutely correct. Uh, you can find us, Hollywood360radio. All right. And uh, we have a Twitter, too, or something like that? We do. That's yeah. H360. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. A lot of things that I don't know anything about. The website, I can I can log on. I can do that. But that's about it. You're, you're just looking at me and shaking your head. That's Yeah, I'm listening to you. The it's bun, very important. The bun. Uh, you're not loving your the bun here. The bun is it's not. The, you know, it's the end of the day bun. It's like, eh. Yeah. Eh. yeah. But uh, all right. Well, uh, anyway, let's get back now to Dragnet. Do you think it was a man dressed as a woman? I don't know. One male footprint. Pretty slim odds. Maybe the machines here can tell us. Hello, Sergeant. Back again, Ethel. Can you make a run for us tonight? 9.25. Sure, I think so. Now, here's the dope right here. I'm going to try another angle, huh? Yeah. Let's see. Male occasions. About 5 feet 8 or 9, 130 to 135 pounds. Feminine features. Size 9 shoe. Impersonating women, robbery, and assault. That's it. Mm-hmm. Arm, 45 automatic. M.O.? Hitchhikes, rides, and robs drivers. How soon do you think you can have a force? Well, 
I'll make the run on the collator. Have to punch up the master first with all this information. And let the machine work the cards. I don't think I'll have it for you much before 11. That all right? Fine, yeah. We'll check back a little before 11 then, huh? They'll be ready. Good. Come on, Ben. Did you call your wife after dinner? Yeah. Wish I had, and she's mad as a hornet. What's the matter? Kid's having a birthday party tomorrow, and I forgot to order the cake. What's she going to do to the party? Bake one? She have to. Then she pulled this gun on me and told me to stop the car. Well, I'm telling you, Captain, I just grabbed that gun and slapped that kid just as hard as Hold I could. Hold it just a minute, will you, please, Collins? Yeah. This man's name is Emil Collins. Mr. Collins is Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero. How are you? How do you do? How are you? I was just telling the captain here, I'm down here on a vacation. I'm from Sacramento, South Sacramento. And I was driving down your Figueroa Street about half an hour ago... And Picked up this girl hitching a ride, and she tried to rob me. Collins took the gun away from her, subdued the girl, and brought her in. Where is she now? Interrogation room. Thaxter and Olsen are with her. The description match? Not too close. Sounds like you didn't have too much trouble with her, Mr. Collins. Well, now that I come to think of it, maybe I didn't. When she pointed that gun, I just grabbed for it and slapped her as hard as I could. Sure took the starch out of her. Who is the girl? Any identification? None. Thaxter and Olsen haven't been able to get anything out of her. You want to try? Sure. What do you think, Skipper? You tell me. See if you can make her talk. I'll have a stenographer take Mr. Collins' report. Okay. Glad to meet you, Mr. Collins. That's a pleasure. I'm only down here for a vacation, but if you need me, just call. You bet we will. Thanks. How do you figure that one? I don't know. Let's see what the girl has to say. Olson? Joe, I want to talk to you before you go in. Sure. Did you find and get her to talk? Well, Saxter did. Pretty sure she's not the one we're after. What's her story? Said she read about this wounded bandit in the paper. Decided to try her hand at it. Needed money. Yeah. Claims her husband left her. She's pregnant. Needs the dough for a hospital. She live here? Up the coast, Monterey. Got in town four days ago, staying at the YWCA. We checked there. She's not lying. You call Monterey? Yeah, they confirmed it. She left there last Wednesday night. She's not the one. Where do we go from here? You'll take care of having her booked, huh, Olson? Yeah, as soon as we get a station. Yeah, fine. Friday, Ben, this way. Hustle it. You too, Olson. What do you got, Ed? Fourth and Lucas, 211 shooting. Let's go. Any details? Yeah. A tall blonde with a gun. Come on. The woman bandit's 18th victim was a truck driver. His name, Harry Reese. His story differed a little from that of the first victim. The woman was hitchhiking near Alvarado and 3rd Street. He gave her a ride. She robbed him at gunpoint, slugged him, and then shot him through the left shoulder. He described her as tall, blonde, attractive, and well-dressed. Guess I should have known better. Remember reading about the dame in the papers. You're sure that the person who held you up was a woman? Hmm? I don't get you. What he means is you don't think it could have been a man dressed like a woman. Oh, no, I'm sure of that. No guy ever looked that good to me. All right, Mr. Reese. We'll check with you later at the hospital. Okay. Let the ambulance get through, will you? Oh, just move side, one side, please. We're keeping that truck cleared? Yeah, Olson's got a couple of men watching it. He's going over it. Same old story. Just another version. Don't you think she's spreading it pretty thin? Her luck can't last forever. It's got me beat how she always manages to disappear without a trace. Yeah. Now, Ben, this way, over here. Yeah, okay. What do you got? Better hustle it. Four blocks down on Colfax is shooting. Just came in on the car radio. Let's go. Slide over, Joe. Yeah. You hit the sign, Ben. Yeah. The crowd watching. All right, Skiver. That all that came over, Ben, a shooting? All they said, see the cab driver, ambulance shooting. This is working real fast. What's the address for now? Third and East Flower Hotel. Hold on. This is it coming up. Should be to the right here. Yeah, take a right. 
That must be it up ahead. I can't see. What's that sign say? Edgemar Hotel for Young Women. Here's the cab driver. Office is right over here. Hey. Looks like blood stains to me here all over the sidewalk. Yeah, I guess it couldn't have happened any more than five or ten minutes ago. I had this fare, see, picked her up at Fort and Bixel, and I, I drove her here. She, she paid the fare and got out. Yeah, go on. I was about halfway down the block when I heard a shot. At least it sounded like one. And when I looked back, this dame was down on one knee near the door to the hotel here, and by the time I backed up her, she was gone. And you noticed the blood, huh? That's right, yeah. I figured I'd better call somebody. Can you tell us what the girl looked like? Oh, not bad at all. Blonde, tall, pretty girl, nervous. But you didn't see where she went. Uh, no, but I didn't. I'll get the driver's name and address. Joe, you and Ben, see if you can follow that trail. Stuff's all over the place. Right. Over this way, Ben. Yeah. It's not hard to follow. Down this alley between the buildings. How does this figure? I don't know. Let's find out. Mm, here we go. On the way back here. You got your flashlight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, this way. Come on. This must be the rear of the hotel. Now, look. The stains lead over this way to the back door here. Let, let me try. Right. Okay, inside. Still following? Yeah. Careful. Up these stairs. Yeah. Second floor. What's the matter? Did you lose him? Yeah. Just a minute. See anything? Yeah. Stains lead on up the stairs here. Let's go. I just happened to think. This is a woman's hotel. And they ought to keep the back door closed. Come on. Third floor. Let's hold it. What is it? thought I saw a door open down the hall. Did you see anybody? No. Let's go. This way. It's an easy trail to follow. Now, this is it. They stop here at this door. Uh, uh, that doesn't sound like a woman. Uh, yeah. You ready? Uh, yeah, try the door first. Yeah. Easy. Uh, yeah, it's locked. All right. Come on. Together uh, now. Let's hit it. Yeah, all right. Watch it, Joe. All right, you. Uh, I got the gun. Yeah. Well, we found what we came for. Look. <laughs> Still got the clothes on. Blonde wig, make up everything. Please, help me. My leg. Call an ambulance. It's on the way. Take it easy. Have a look, Joe. The wigs, full makeup kit, clothes, living in a woman's hotel. The worst. It was an accident. You never would have got me. I dropped the gun. It went off. You never would have got me. Yeah, that's right, mister. It was an accident. You better get the boss in here. I'll stay with Glamour Boy. Yeah, okay. And Ben. Yeah? Leave the door open, will you? House rules. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 14th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 79, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. Harold Sutter, alias the Bandit Queen, was tried and convicted on several counts of assault with attempt to commit murder and robbery of the first degree. He was sentenced to the term prescribed by law. While serving his time in the state penitentiary, he was stabbed to death by another inmate. 
You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Hear Morton Downey tonight on NBC. And that's Dragnet from February 9th, 1950, with The Big Girl, starring Jack Webb. And uh, also in the cast, Barton Yarbrough, that was sponsored by Fatima, but we removed all the cigarette commercials, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoy Dragnet. I always enjoy that show. Dragnet's such a good detective uh, police series and made a, uh, a transition to television very successful on TV. And Jack Webb, throughout the whole run, was Sergeant Joe Friday, who was also the producer-director of that series. All right, it's time now for one of my favorite comedy shows of all time, Our Miss Brooks. Eve Arden starred as uh, English teacher Connie Brooks on this series, and a great cast, Jane Morgan, Richard Crenna, Gail Gordon, Jeff Chandler, Terrific, terrific series. Let's go back to December 11th, 1949. This is part one of the Cereal Bowl. Here's our Miss Brooks. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. And Bluster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written by Al Lewis. Well, many of the nation's high school football teams played in postseason junior bowl games last week. Madison High School, where Our Miss Brooks teaches English, also received a bowl bid. Yes, Madison was invited to play in the cereal bowl. <laughs> the game was scheduled for last Saturday, and Friday morning at breakfast, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, asked me about the details. Where has the team been invited to play, Connie? In the stadium at Clay City, Mrs. Davis. And you ought to see how big our beloved principal is taking this invitation. Mr. Conklin's so puffed up, he looks like he was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> if you'll pardon a little wishful thinking. <laughs> the last few days, he's been absolutely memo-happy. Memo-happy? He sends out one inter-office communication after another. But the game tomorrow should be a lot of fun. Walter Denton, the team's manager, told me that the cheerleaders and the team and the band are all going down in buses. Then there's going to be a dance at the Clay City Hotel after the game. I'd give anything to go. Then why don't you, Connie? I haven't got anything. <laughs> the tickets are pretty expensive, Mrs. Davis, and on my budget, well, it's just out of the question. How about Mr. Boynton? Is he going? Yes, he's got a ticket already, I believe. Just one ticket? Mr. Boynton's on a budget, too. <laughs> There's still a chance for me to go along as a chaperone for the girl cheerleaders. Mr. Conklin's daughter, Harriet, told me that he's going to choose between Miss Enright and me today. Miss Enright? But she's always making goo-goo eyes at Mr. Boynton. If she goes to Clay City for the game and the dance afterwards, she'll have him all to herself. I thought of that, Mrs. Davis. That's why I'm giving Mr. Conklin his Christmas present a little early this year. <laughs> Like in a half an hour. <laughs> Good. What are you giving, Mr. Conklin? A pair of nice woolen socks to keep his feet warm at the game. Oh, it isn't that I want to influence Mr. Conklin to select me instead of Miss Enright. It isn't. Of course it is. <laughs> well, all's fair in love and war, Connie. Remember, Miss Enright will take any unfair advantage of you that you can. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Mrs. Davis. 
You wouldn't. Of course I would. <laughs> and she would. At least she always has. Taking advantage, I mean. Would you answer the door, please, Connie? I'll take the breakfast dishes into the kitchen. All right, Mrs. Davis. It's probably Walter Denton. He's giving me a lift to school. Coming! Good morning, Miss Brooks. Miss Enright. I was just driving to school, and knowing the usual condition of your car, I thought I might give you a ride this morning. Well, that's very considerate, Miss Enright, but Walter Denton's picking me up any minute. Oh. Well, there's another reason I stopped by... If I may come in out of the draft for a moment, I'll explain. Oh, I'm sorry. Come in, Miss Enright. Sit down, won't you? I'd rather stand, I think. I've a new dress on, and the furniture doesn't look too dusted. (laughs) Better brush off your finger. We haven't vacuumed the doorbell in months. You're so witty, darling. But I just wanted to tell you that in spite of our little differences in the past, I see no reason why we can't be more friendly in the new year, which is practically upon us. Well, I'm sure that I... As a matter of fact, I've brought a little peace offering with me, Miss Brooks. Here, I'd like you to have this ticket. Ticket? To what, Miss Enright? To the fireman's ball. My Aunt Jessie bought it weeks ago, but the poor darling just doesn't feel up to going this year. And rather than waste the ticket, we immediately thought of you. Auntie says it's a lot of fun for spinsters. What time will you be there? (laughs) Look, Miss Enright, I don't believe that an unmarried girl should consider herself a spinster until she reaches a certain age. Well, don't be testy, darling. I'm sure you won't reach that age for months yet. (laughs) Now, take the ticket and have a good time tomorrow night. Oh, it's for tomorrow night. Now, that's a coincidence. The bowl dance is being held tomorrow night in Clay City. And one of us is supposed to chaperone that affair. Oh, but I'm virtually assured of that position, Miss Brooks. What makes you think so? Oh, I could tell from dear Mr. Conklin's reaction to my visit yesterday. You see, I dropped into his office after school with a little gift for him. I uh, always like to give out my Christmas presents early. What potential chaperone doesn't? (laughs) What did you give, Mr. Conklin? I gave him a lovely pair of woolen socks. Woolen socks? Yes, he was very appreciative. Seemed genuinely touched. But that's what I like about our principal anyway. He has such a warm heart. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? I don't know about his heart, but he's going to have the warmest feet in Clay City. (laughs) I've got to have a few words with Mr. Conklin before my first class, Walter. Do you think we'll arrive at school in time? get you there in time to talk his arm off, Miss Brooks. (laughs) You shouldn't worry about that job as chaperone. There's absolutely no doubt that you'll be chosen. According to Harriet, it's still between Miss Enright and me. But, Miss Brooks, anybody who could possibly pick Miss Enright over you for any kind of position should have Mr. Conklin's head examined. (laughs) I mean, it's a foregone conclusion that he'll take you. And the dance ought to be a lot of fun tomorrow night. Harriet and I have promised each other every dance. Except maybe one or two she'll have to give Mr. Boynton. Oh, then Mr. Boynton is definitely going. I thought you knew. Yeah, he got his ticket Monday right after we were chosen to play in the bowl. He's followed the team through thick and thin, Miss Brooks. That's why you've just got to go tomorrow. Well, how can I, Walter, unless I'm chosen chaperone? Well, easy. You can still buy a ticket. It's not that easy. There's only a limited supply, you know. Of tickets? Of money. (laughs) 
They're probably all sold out by now. Oh, don't worry, Miss Brooks. We'll figure something out. Uh, but to get back to Mr. Conklin for a second. Since we've been chosen to play in the bowl, he's definitely lid-flipping material. Lid-flipping material? <laughs> he's blowing his entire cork, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Every time I turn around, I get another memo. Uh, look at this last communique he sent me yesterday afternoon. Let's see it, Walter. Hmm. From the office of the principal to the manager, such as he is, of the football team. <laughs> as per my prior instructions, have you made sure the members of the school band are bringing their instruments? <laughs> what does he think they're going to play on? Tissue paper and combs? <laughs> Not that it wouldn't be an improvement. <laughs> Mr. Conklin is a man of many memos these days. He sure is, Miss Brooks. But there isn't much we can do about it. After all, a school principal is a school principal. I guess you're right, Walter. But under another set of circumstances, Mr. Conklin and I might get along beautifully. What kind of circumstances, Miss Brooks? If he were the principal of Madison High and I was an English teacher in Budapest. <laughs> Come in. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. What can I do for you? Do you really want to know, Mr. Conklin? No, it was just a figure of speech. <laughs> Please be brief. I've got a lot on my mind. Yes, sir. I'd like you to accept this little Christmas present, Mr. Conklin. I wanted you to have it early. Thank you, Miss Brooks. What is it? Well, it's a sort of surprise, a timely surprise. As a man who suffers from hypertension, Miss Brooks, I find that surprises do very little for me. What's in the package? Well, I'll give you a hint, Mr. Conklin. You received a present from another teacher yesterday, isn't that right? Yes. Well, if you had that present on and then put my present on, you'd be wearing a very bloated pair of shoes. <laughs> Here, I'll just put it away in your closet. Oh, while I'm at it, I could clean out this closet for you, Mr. Conklin. Uh, no, thank you, Miss Brooks. Miss Enright did that for me yesterday. <laughs> As you know, I'm going to choose one of you as the chaperone for the trip tomorrow. I'll make my final decision at lunchtime. Very good, Mr. Conklin. Have you completed all arrangements for tomorrow? Uh, practically. I've just finished another memo for those directly concerned with the trip. I call it Schedule A. Would you like to hear it? Not it reads at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Band members and cheerleaders under supervision of female chaperone will leave on bus number one. Second half of contingent will be personally conducted by me and will leave at 8 o'clock on bus number 2, signed Osgood Conklin. That certainly is explicit. I must say, Mr. Conklin, these memos of yours are a wonderful idea. Why, this schedule lists all the instructions so clearly and concisely that there couldn't possibly be the slightest confusion. I'm quite slippery on this side, Miss Brooks. Perhaps you should start buttering up the other. <laughs> Why, Mr. Conklin, it's just that I realize that there's more to this expedition than the honor of being invited to a bowl football game. And I want you to know that I'm ready, willing, and able to accept the great responsibility, the hard work, and the free ticket that goes with it. <laughs> and that's the first portion of our Miss Brooks from December 11, 1949 with the Cereal Bowl starring Eve Arden. We'll have part two, the conclusion, on our next program. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Want to remind all our listeners, we have a podcast for this show. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. Every Monday, we put the new show up, and we've recently started a new podcast show I want to tell you about. It's called Classic Radio Theater, and you can find it on Podcast One. Just go to podcastone.com and go to the arts section and then look for Classic Radio Theater. Or you can go to our website for the show, which is ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Every week, we do a 90-minute podcast for Podcast One, and it has three half-hour radio shows, so don't miss that. And our next show, we're going to tune in to the conclusion of our Miss Brooks. Then it's a good Western adventure of Gunsmoke. We'll see you next time.